You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Welcome into another Three Mall Pod bonus edition. I am your host, Cole Manbeck, joined as always by former K State wide receiver and partner at Wildcat NIL, Curry Sexton, as we are here to recap another dominating K State effort on the football field as they defeat Houston 41 to nothing. Uh, before we dive in, as always, want to remind our listeners about our friends over at Holiday Distillery. Go get stocked up with some Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon or 360 vodka. Awesome stuff. They were out at the NIL golf tournament for the Players Classic for the K-State men's basketball team a couple weeks ago. Wyatt was serving up some delicious drinks with uh, Holiday Distillery products. So go check them out. Great K-State folks who support us on 3Ma. So Curry, uh, another fun week, a relaxing, stress-free game. Gotten a couple of those in a row as K-State dominates Houston and I. I think the storyline of this is just the defense, Curry. Um, you know, we talked about the the quarterback rotation after the TCU game, and we'll talk a little bit about what they did at quarterback and how Will Howard and Avery Johnson played in this game. But I want to I want to start off talking about this Kansas State defense because this was a Houston offense that was top twenty five in most of the advanced analytics and metrics, and they hold them to ninety five yards passing, two hundred eight yards of offense, three and a half yards per play and shut out Houston for the first time in 23 years. What what did you make of that defensive effort? You just, you know, yet another week, very impressive effort uh, by the whole group. I think, you know, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the the back end of our defense is really starting to come together. Um, and, and we've seen them now, you know, put up two back, you know, back-to-back impressive performances after an impressive second half against Texas Tech. And and as we discussed last week, you know, the end of the second half against Texas Tech was a third string quarterback last week against uh, TCU, second string quarterback. But then coming into this week against a pretty high powered offense and a quarterback who's, you know, really played a lot of snaps at, at high level in, 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 you know, the highest level of college football, um, thought maybe we'd, we'd have a little bit more of a test. But the defense again showed up, I think, just from. From the front to the back, we're, we have a really solid unit, um, and, and you know we're getting pressure after the quarterback. We're not, you know, we're, we're making the proper run fits, and then you know the guys on the back end are, are just you know playing tight coverage all the time. So really, really good to see, um, especially coming into a, a big game this this Saturday. And I thought going into Saturday, when you looked at the forecast, I thought it was going to play favorably to K State. It was forecasted rain, cold, windy. And while it was still chilly out there and there was some wind, it wasn't rainy. There wasn't a wet football for the most part. It was pretty dry, unlike what was happening in Lawrence as they had rain coming down in an hour-plus delay in the game against Oklahoma. Man, that stayed mostly dry, and it was conditions where you would have thought Houston would be able to throw the ball still effectively. They have talented wide receivers. Donovan Smith is a talented quarterback and has thrown for nearly 2,000 yards this year coming into that game. They were completing 73% of their passes over the previous four games and were top 10 over that in pass efficiency nationally, and they could not get anything going. And only the second time Dana Holgerson's been shut out in his entire coaching career as a head coach. That's 158 games, and uh, I mentioned it, 95 yards passing. Is it just playing together more, Curry, that you pin as the, the reason why this defense has really figured things out, especially 
feel like we talk about it every week, but secondary to me, just that they're in the right spots. They're, they're right with their guys. And it doesn't seem like there's any sort of communication issues any longer. It certainly feels like they have the talent there as you, you continue to watch them play. Yeah. I mean, I think Saturday, you know, I, going into the game, I felt really good about the cats chances. I think, you know, sure it didn't rain, but this was a Houston team that's used to playing in warm weather. Um, coming off a game that that many coined as their Super Bowl, um, and so you knew a, you knew you know a letdown was a possibility, and you also thought, okay, well they're you know they're they're not going to like the, these cold temps, and so I think that you know the, the elements um, and the circumstances did play a factor in in Saturday's game, but it, the defense, yeah, I think it's just it's guys coming together as we've discussed, you know, the back end, a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience there, and and. You know, we saw flashes early on, and now we're seeing them play consistent as a unit. Um, and, and you're seeing, you know, some of some of the other young guys, the Austin Romains, the Uso Siamalos. I know Uso's not technically a young guy, but in terms of experience, he is. And you're just seeing those guys, you know, those those guys improve um, and and play to their potential. And so, you know, you're the entire the, the entire unit is seeing the benefits of that. We did a uh, Patreon Q&A episode on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash 3maw, and one of the questions we had submitted to us, Curry, was who would you grade as the, the or say who's the MVP of this Kansas State defense to date on the season? It was a hard question for me to answer. Well, what Who would you say? Because it seems like they play so well as a unit. Like, it just feels like a really cohesive unit. There isn't, like, that star of a Felix and you didn't use on yeah. right? It's... I, so I'm curious if you have a guy that I would say. I mean, I you know star power. I think Jacob Parrish has been sort of the star on the back end. But I think in terms of MVP, uh, I think it's got to be Austin or Desmond Purnell. I think those two guys have been really, really solid all year. Um, you know, Austin Moore is a guy who just goes out there every week and works. Uh, maybe doesn't get the fanfare. Maybe doesn't ha- hasn't had a ton of big plays. Uh, but he's always around the football. He's always making plays. And so I would say Austin Moore, Desmond Purnell have been maybe the MVPs of the defense. But in terms of star power, you know, you've seen it from Jacob Parrish. You've seen some flashes from Will Lee. You've seen some flashes from, from Khalid Duke um, and some other guys across the board. But but it is just, you know, in, in most cases, it's a collective effort. Yeah, I think I went with Jacob Parrish on my answer, Curry. Uh, he's been so solid outside of that Missouri game when there were a couple communication errors, and that wasn't even all his fault. He has been locked on to guys. I mean, I think he's one of the elite cover corners in this conference and uh, good arm length, even though he's not the tallest guy in the world. So I think Will, Will Lee, Kobe Savage was up there as well as one of the other guys' answers. Um, and I think a guy that's maybe been a little underrated is B.J. Payne as they moved him out of the him and Kobe Savage swapped safety positions after that Missouri game, uh, put Kobe back in the middle. And it feels like it's really helped BJ Payne. And obviously also a guy that, you know, they were relying on, but it only really played in just a handful of games coming into the year. And now is really coming on. And we know he's one of the fastest guys, most athletic guys on the team. So he's playing great football. So let, let's transition to the offense. Um, and then we'll look at the Houston. When we come out of break here in a few minutes, but, you mentioned to Curry after the last game, you didn't think they could keep alternating every other series like they did against TCU. And in this game, they start Will Howard once again, but they stick with him for a couple series and Avery gets on the field and uh, there's the fumbled handoff exchange on uh, his second play. And then you didn't see, see Avery for a while after that. What, what did you make of the way they handled the quarterbacks in this one? Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
for one, I'm glad that, that we didn't see the, the jockeying back and forth like we saw uh, last weekend against TCU. I think that's a good thing. Um, I, you know, I told you last week, I, I was, uh, I was a proponent of Avery being the guy going forward. And I don't know that that's changed, but I am glad that they're not, that they didn't do, you know, that they didn't resort back to the flip-flopping series. Um, Will played well. We didn't need a lot from Will. I mean, I think he threw for 164 yards, was very efficient. Uh, but that, that was a, you know, that was a football game where if you look at our offensive statistics, they don't screen 41 points. Um, but it's just because of the domination of our, uh, the dominance of our defense. And so, um, you know, Will got the job done. He looked good. Um, and, and so, you know, I can't really critique much there. I will say my one critique is I, I was not a fan of putting Avery out there, you know, one, you know, the, the, the zone read, you know, some of those, some of those, you know, kind of exchange problems are bound to happen occasionally, especially with a young guy. And I, I was not a fan of them yanking him after that. Uh, you know, you put him out there, he has one snap, fumble, and then you yank him until later in the game. Was not a fan of that, especially with a guy who's the future of the program. So would have liked to have seen them throw Avery back in the fire, let him kind of get her into a rhythm and see what he can do. Um, but but it was, was good to see him later in the game and good to see him stand in the pocket and make some throws. And he also was an efficient passer Saturday, I- I- including with some, you know, some different guys up front and some different guys out of the skill positions. And and I'll say one thing that, you know, that there was a really, really um, sort of, it was a benefit that, that we haven't talked about much, um, that maybe a little bit underrated is just the, the ability to play two or three deep in a Big 12 football game. You don't get that opportunity much past the first couple of weeks of the year. And to get into your two and three deep across the board is, is massive. It's massive for development. It's massive for keeping guys locked in. Some of those guys haven't seen a live game snap since the first game of the season or maybe the second game of the season. And so getting them out there um, in a Big 12 football game is, is, is great for a number of different reasons. So I was, was very glad to see that happen a little bit on Saturday as well. It's a great point. It's the second consecutive week they've been able to do that. They've had an opportunity because they also blew out TCU. So they're getting guys some extra reps. You've seen some guys step on the field for the first time, like a Rex Van Wy, who they have. High hopes yeah. for against TCU. He gets his first snaps of the season. He's a guy that they're hoping to redshirt. And now you're getting more into that portion of the season where those guys that have played maybe one game or guys where the light bulb's coming on and they could still preserve their redshirt, but they could play them four games here down the stretch and still preserve that redshirt. So I think it's a great point, Curry. And I think you make you bring up a great point on polling Avery. DY actually brought that up on our pod that we did today. Um, and that one of the critiques was, you know, you pull a guy like that when they have one turnover, you know, the, the other quarterbacks are watching too, right? And then you start worrying, I make one mistake, and do I have to live on eggshells here, you know? Yeah. And so. And that was, I mean, that's, you know, somebody, I can't remember, it might have been my mother-in-law, somebody after the game was like, it felt like a Coach Snyder move. Um, and it really did, you know, back back in the day, if there were two quarterbacks getting snaps, Coach was not not shy with it, you know, to to have a quick trigger, um, or you know, have him on a short leash, and so we did didn't like seeing that, especially for a young guy where confidence is so key. And also, I mean, I think this goes without saying, but we got to keep this young guy happy. Um, this young guy is the future, and and you know this 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 back and forth that we've seen over the last several weeks, you know, playing some games, not playing at all in other games, becoming the guy in other games. The back and forth, you know, you're giving this kid a lot of whiplash. And I know Avery Johnson is built to handle it, but um, 
that can wear on a young guy. That can wear on a guy who's not young. And so I just hope that we're not that, that we're not putting him in a tough position by the way we've handled him over the course of the season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One more question on the offense, Curry, and then we'll throw to a break. But and they they haven't really needed to go downfield these last couple of games through the air. But one hesitancy I have is so they're twenty one or twenty four passing, but two hundred fifteen yards. I mean, incredibly efficient, but. Only a couple passes that they even really went probably beyond like eight or nine yards in this game. They were both completed to Phillip Brooks. So credit to, to Will Howard and the offense for being successful those times they went downfield. But really over the last two games, outside of Avery Johnson's two dimes that he threw against TCU and then the couple to, to Phillip Brooks, there just isn't a lot going vertically down the field. Like they're not, they're not even really a t- talked about this before, but when you start to go up against, like, you look ahead, and we're going to talk about Texas here in a few minutes, but you look ahead to a Texas, to these really good defensive defenses, is it sustainable to be able to be productive offensively against teams that are going to probably take away the run a little bit more, and you're going to have to take some chances vertically? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's college football in a lot of ways is is akin to what we see in in basketball these days where you know the three-point shot in basketball is the great equalizer a deep ball in football is especially in college football is the great equalizer and so I think you always have to have that you know that that option I mean I think back to the KU Texas game this year obviously that ended up being a blowout but in the early parts of the game where Texas was dominating but wasn't converting in in the red zone um, KU was able to stay in the game because I think at one point they they hit on like a 60-yard pass to Trevor Wilson. Um, you know, offense that was struggling, but they threw one deep ball touchdown. They're, you know, they're, they're locked into that game and, and in a close battle, you know, all the way through most of the third quarter. And so I, I think, you know, we, we, we're going to have to find an ability to attack downfield, um, you know, in, in I, I worry that when we need that, we won't have that because we haven't really found a viable option uh, you know, as it relates to downfield threats. I mean, obviously we've seen Jace Brown do it a couple, you know, a couple of times against TCU. We've seen Phil Brooks throughout his career make some plays down the field. Um, I think, you know, you, you see a guy like, you know, guys like Benson or Garrett Oakley who have, you know, who, who have found some, you know, some open spaces down the middle of the field or even down the boundary. And you just hope that, you know, when, when the time comes on Saturday in a tight football game where we need a big play down the field that somebody's going to go make it. But I think history shows um, over the first eight games this season that, that we probably can't count on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I uh, should note that Ben Sennett played limited snaps in this game. They didn't need him out there too much, so Garrett Oakley got more reps and uh, had three catches for 36 yards, got his first touchdown, and I think we all think he's a guy that uh, could be a budding star at tight end down the road and uh, will continue to hopefully come on as the season progresses here down the stretch. So, uh, well, we're going to toss to a break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about Texas and preview this upcoming weekend, which is a monstrous weekend for K-State and really the Big 12 as we get a better picture of, of where this thing is headed across the league. Uh, but at first, got to tell you about our friends at Homefield Apparel. As always, uh, homefieldapparel.com. You can score 15% off using the code 3MAW23. First-time purchasers get that 15% off, so go check it out. Go to Homefield Apparel. Dot com and pick out one of their 40 K-State items that they have available online. I've stocked up my closet with a ton of home field gear and uh, so have many others. Every time I'm around a K-State game, I see a ton of home field apparel being worn by Kansas State fans. So go check them out. Great folks who support the show and uh, go check them out. Get 15% off with discount code 3MALL23. Again, go to homefieldapparel.com 
and check out all their retro vintage amazing gear that they have there. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So a monstrous weekend, Curry, is uh, interestingly enough, when K-State played Texas last year in Manhattan, K-State was 6-2. and two. And three and four and one in the Big Twelve, and they're right there in place. Texas then lost the ensuing week against TCU. K State dominated Baylor, and it went from there. I don't think you want to be counting on that with the fourteen-team league and the weird tiebreaker scenarios that exist. And you don't get a shot at OU this year, although OU lost to KU. So a lot of things have shaken out that maybe we didn't foresee coming. If you win this game, you're in the driver's seat to get back to Arlington. If you lose this game, you're going to have to depend on some luck and uh, outside circumstances over the final three games, and you're going to have to win out, and the game at KU will not be easy by any means. So what do you make of this matchup, Curry? What are maybe your biggest concerns going into this game that present the biggest challenges, and and what concerns you as you look to the Longhorns? Yeah, I mean, I would say first and foremost, it's, it's, you know, Coach Kleiman's ability to sort of solve the Texas puzzle. Um, you know, Coach Cl- or Coach Snyder had a lot of success playing against Texas football teams over the years. So far, Coach Kleiman hasn't been able to find that. Um, and so I think that's that's a big piece. I mean, I think obviously so much changes from year to year, but but there is a lot, uh, you know, there, there's a there's a program aspect to this where we see, you know, certain teams have dominance over certain others. And, and Texas has had our number over the last several years. And so I guess that would be my, my biggest concern. Um, obviously the, the, some of the talent discrepancies, I mean, I know K-State is a talented football team, but Texas is, is I think unquestionably one of the top one, you know, either the top or top two, uh, talented football teams in the conference. And so I think just from a straight talent perspective, I think they're, you know, they're going to have some guys out there who are going to cause us some, could cause us some problems. I mean, I think you think of Jonathan Brooks. I mean, he's got almost a thousand rushing yards already this year. Really, really good football player filling in for, for beat on Robinson on the outside. You know, you got. 
uh, three weapons that are that are high caliber NFL prospects and AD Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, and Jatavian Sanders. Um, I don't think we've gone up against a guy like Jatavian Sanders this year um, at the tight end position who can really cause problems. He's a Mitch, he's a mismatch guy. He's a night he's a matchup nightmare. And then you got AD Mitchell, who's a really talented receiver, Georgia transfer, can beat you deep. He's got some speed. And then Xavier Worthy is kind of the ultimate game breaker. Um, and, and and so I I think those three guys cause me a lot of concerns. Now, obviously, um, I think we're probably going to see Malik Murphy out there behind center. And so, um, you know, that, that maybe changes things a little bit. They don't have a skilled, they don't have necessarily the skilled thrower um, that they usually have. And Quinn Ewers getting these guys the ball. Um, but I think the... Uh, you know, the, the, some of the some of the skill matchups that we're going to have cause me a little bit of concern, but I do think this is a good matchup for us. They have an embarrassment of riches at the skill positions. There's no question about it. I mean, you mentioned those names, and then another guy, Jordan Whittington, who's kind of their reliable guy in the passing game, an experienced veteran wide receiver that they like to go to in third down situations, and he's got good hands. Always finds a way to get open. A.D. Mitchell, an explosive guy, as if they needed another one to pair with Xavier Worthy. And then you mentioned it. Jatavion Sanders is thought to be maybe the number two draft-eligible tight end if he comes out. Brock Bowers, number one. Jatavion Sanders, I think Mel Kuyper has his number two. Ben Sennett, maybe number three, number four earlier in the year in those rankings. Sanders is the first team, all Big 12 selection coming into the year. He had over 500 yards last year. He's a mismatched nightmare. We saw it last year in Manhattan. I think he had five grabs for almost 60 yards and had a couple of big plays on third down over the middle um, in that game, which, you know, things that didn't help that game for K-State Julius Brents was lost on the very first series on a questionable targeting call that I didn't like. Game just moves too fast sometimes. I don't think you can avoid it. That's neither here nor there. K-State did have a shot at the end, but I think we saw what can happen early on. Curry. I think one big thing to me is Steve, Tar- Steve Sarkeesian is – a really good play caller, a good a good scripter of plays. And we talked last year that withstanding that first quarter was going to be critical critical because you know Sarkeesian's going to have a script for those first couple series and you got to make him then adjust in game. And to me, they they got off to Texas, went right down the field and scored the first couple times last year. And they they struggled down the stretch. Case they closed the gap, you know, as they adjusted in game. But to me, like if you don't dig yourself a hole, you'll be right there. And I think that first quarter is going to be critical for K-State to withstand Sarkeesian and what he's drawn up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've we've seen this year even that that Joe Klanderman is a really, really good in-game adjuster. But you're right. Against a team like this, you can't dig yourself that hole, especially a team that has that physicality. And that has a running game that has been pretty strong. Um, if they get a lead, you know they're just going to turn and hand the ball off to Jonathan Brooks and 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 ask or, you know dare us to play catch up. Um, so I think that's a big piece. I think you know another thing is 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 their defense has been pretty solid this year. Um, you know I think we're you know this is going to be a game where you know if we struggle to run the football, you know what you know who do we turn to or where do we turn? You know, I think, you know, you look back to what their defense did to KU. I mean, obviously that was a KU team without Jalen Daniels, but, um, you know, 124 yards rushing for a KU team whose hallmark is running the football. Um, I think they they held KU to under 270 yards of total offense. Um, last week, a, a, a BYU football team that is that is a pretty good offensive football team. They're a little Jekyll and Hyde week to week, but pretty good offensive football team. They hold them to six points, and so 
Um, you know, the offensive side, you know, they have the talent. They have Steve Sarkeesian, who's one of the best play callers in America. Um, you know, you but but you also got to be worried about you know the matchup of our of our offensive group versus their defensive group. Um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna load up to stop the run. They're gonna load up to stop DJ um, and and Trey Sean and even Avery. And, and we're gonna have to be able to throw the football to win this game. There's no doubt about it, and and I think that's probably where my biggest concern lies. Curry is up front. K State's offensive line's been playing really good football, but Texas defensive line is another animal. It'll be the best defensive line that K State has faced this season, and it's a Texas defense allowing 3.2 yards per carry. That's best of the Big 12, and 98 rushing yards per game, which uh, is let's see here 98. That's number 14 nationally and number one in the Big 12 as well. So 3.2 yards per carry. 98 rushing yards per game. They're already good against the run, and you know they're going to load up to take away the run and dare K-State to try and beat them in one-on-one situations in this game. And I think Avery Johnson will play a bigger part in this game than we saw probably against a Houston because I think they're going to need some explosiveness to help get guys open as well via the pass and also via the run. And the one thing I will say when Texas lost to Oklahoma this year, the one thing Texas struggled with was containing Dylan Gabriel running the football from the quarterback position. And so... I think that's going to be a big part of it. And again, I don't even think, I don't think Oklahoma's that great, honestly. And that's not a knock on KU's win by any means. I just don't, I still just struggle to buy into Oklahoma. The more I watch them, I've seen them hang, like UCF was right there to beat them in Norman. And uh, they they were up by seven on Cincinnati, who's the worst team in the Big 12 late in the game. I mean, so I've just been a little bit underwhelmed with that OU game other than their their dominant performance against Texas. So uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I think K State's going to have to be able to throw the ball. To your point, they're going to have to figure out a way to be explosive in this game yeah. if they're going to be successful because that's a good Texas defense. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely, uh, and, and you know I think a couple. Of, I mean, other factors. I mean, is that I think it's going to be 80 degrees on Saturday. I know it's. Yeah. I know it was fairly warm a couple weeks ago against TCU, but you know how do how do we? You know that that Texas heat. How does that impact our guys? And then I think you know the 11 a.m. kickoff. Well, I've always been a fan of 11 a.m. kickoffs when you're the road team. Yeah. Um. I think it takes the crowd out of the game a little bit. Not that not the Daryl K. Royal Stadium has the be- best crowd in the world. It's one of the biggest, but not the best. Um. But you know you you get in and take an early lead, and those Texas fans will be checked out early. Um. And so I think that's an advantage as well. As well, you know, you get up early game take care of business, get home to Manhattan and celebrate. What would you, uh, on that note, how would you kind of rank maybe the top four or five most difficult places to play that you played in in the Big 12? That's, that's, that's a good question. I would say Oklahoma State is number one. Um, I would say Iowa is number, or Iowa State is number two. That place is small, but it's really, really loud. Um, I would say number three, man, that's tough. I would probably say Oklahoma. Um, they not they're not always loud, but they can they can certainly raise the decibel level. Um, and then number I don't I don't know after that. I mean KU's nothing. Baylor's not great. Um, Texas Tech I've never thought that that stadium was overly loud. Again Texas because they pack a hundred thousand people in there can get loud, but it's generally not. So I'd say the the three the three that I mentioned Oklahoma State Iowa State um, and OU are probably the three loudest outside of K State. I ask only because, you know, Curry, I was often in the press box for these games, so you don't get a sense for the environment. And the last five minutes of the game, typically media were able to go down on the field onto the sidelines, and there were a couple of times I was down on the sideline in Austin for K-State games, but it was 2017 and 2019 
and I was right in front of the student section. So it was louder than normal. And it was also, it was a one score game. Like Texas would nearly lost both those games. So they were actually loud, but that was because it was a one score game. And I was wondering what it was really like the, the entirety of the game because you couldn't get a feel for it. So I thought I'd ask you that. So. Yeah. It, the positioning in their student section, the, the, you know, sort of the, the, the design of the stadium, it just, I don't think it holds yep. down well. And I, and, and I think it's, I think it's more of a social event for those fans yeah. than anything. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I'll ask you one other question that we talked about on the uh, the pod this morning that's a little bit off the wall. So K-State plays Texas Saturday, and then Oklahoma goes to Oklahoma State. You've got Bedlam. And then in the 6 o'clock window, you've got KU at Iowa State, which should be an incredible game as well. You just mentioned Ames being a really tough place to play, especially at night. Uh, and they're 4-1 and one in the league. They're going to be jacked up with a chance to get to 5-1. and one. they got a ranked KU team coming in. Uh, I guess... DY posed this question to me, so I'm going to pose it to you. What's the best outcome? Obviously, K-State winning is a great outcome. But in those two other games, in order for K-State to get back to Arlington, what would you view as the best outcomes in those games who you'd be pulling for as a K-State fan? Uh, it's hard to put my biases aside. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, it. I think it, with, K, with KU and Iowa State, because we play in both, I don't know that it really matters who wins that football game, but I think Iowa State beating KU is the best outcome. And that probably includes, that factors in my, my bias. <laughs> um, and, and then I would, you know, the, the same could be said for, you know, because we don't get a shot at Oklahoma, I think I think Oklahoma State beating OU in that game is probably best yep. best case scenario for K-State. And then obviously if the Cats win. I mean, if those three, if the Cats win, Oklahoma State wins, and Iowa State, State wins on Saturday, we're in a really, really good position um, going into the final three weeks of the season. Uh, I mean, obviously, we come home to Baylor. Baylor's, you know, really, really down this year. Uh, have, have been struggling as of late or for most of the season. Um, and, and you think, you know, Iowa State has to go on the road to BYU next week. Really tough place to play. Um, and, and then you think Oklahoma State going to UCF will not be an easy football game. Texas at TCU, as you, you know, Texas has had struggles with TCU over the years. Um, obviously they, then, you know, we match up with KU, Texas goes on the road to Iowa state. Yeah. We just talked about how hard it is to win in Iowa, especially in November. Um, you know, those Texas boys won't like going to Iowa in November. And, and you know, there's, it, it's just going to be a really interesting month of November. I think there's probably 20 different scenarios or more as to who could end up in Arlington in early December. Um, I, I, I do think that if the cats keep playing like they have been over the last two and a half weeks, I think we're, we're going to be in a really good position. Yeah. To be clear, if K-State wins out, it won't matter. It'll be K-State. Yep. So you just take care of your own business. Take care of business. Yeah. You don't have to rely on anything now. You know, I, I think Oklahoma state beating OU would be great also, just because first of all, it would increase the chances that if K-State wins Saturday and OSU wins, there's a great shot. Both Texas and Oklahoma miss the big 12 championship and their final year when everybody thought that was a shoe in before this, like as the season was going on early, everybody thought that was a shoe in Curry that that Texas, I know you were getting there. And if the, the old eight, the legacy schools of the big 12 could be the ones that knock those schools out. If K-State could win after KU beats Oklahoma and then Oklahoma state knocks out Oklahoma, you'd be looking at, you know, potential for Oklahoma state would almost be a shoe in at that point to get to Arlington. I know I'd like a rematch against Oklahoma State. Um, And the way the tiebreaker scenarios unfold, if OU loses again, and the reason I think it'd be better for Oklahoma State to beat them, because Oklahoma State has the head-to-head tiebreaker on K-State. So if K-State drops a second game, OSU is still going to have that tiebreaker on them. 
And also the way the tiebreakers unfold is if OU, in case they both have two losses, neither one played each other. So they obviously can't go off head to head. They then go off who's the highest team you beat in the standings. Well, OU beat Texas. So K-State needs to beat Texas. But then if if that happens, if K-State beats Texas, you're going to have to start really going down the list of the teams. And we don't know how the standings are going to shake out. OU plays a really weak Big 12 schedule. So there is an opportunity that K-State could have the best win in the standings, but we won't know that for a while. And to your point on KU and Iowa State, I think K-State will beat Iowa State. That game's in Manhattan. So they'll be able to give them a head-to-head loss. And um, it's pro- that KU game is going to be tough in Lawrence. So uh, thinking about that one, that, that's going to be a, a pretty good atmosphere, probably the best atmosphere we've seen since the Mark Mangino days. And I remember going to a couple of those games uh, against K-State. So they're going to be fired up it's, for that one. It's, it's, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, you know, I think, as you said, I think, you know, one of the things that is really intriguing is the idea of it not of, of neither Texas nor OU making the championship game for the third year in a row. Especially this year, when so much has been said about how the Big 12 is down, or at least so much was said in the early part of the year, how, how the Big 12 was down, and now that's appearing to not be the case. It appears to be a, a pretty strong conference, although maybe not as strong at the top as, as the SEC or some of those other conferences. And, and so I, I think there would be, you know, it'd be, it'd be pretty poetic if, if neither of those schools were in Arlington in early December. Um, but yeah, the cat, like you said, the cats just got to take care of business and handle what's in front of them and everything else will take care of itself. Well, it could be a fun Saturday for K-State fans and really a fun few days. You've got the K-State-Texas game at 11 a.m. And if you win, you can kick back and enjoy college football the rest of the day. And you can also wait for the Patrick Gongba commitment, potentially choosing between K-State, Kentucky, and Duke. And I know he had one heck of an official visit to Manhattan this last weekend, arguably the best, second best center in college basketball coming into the 2024 recruiting class. And uh, K-State has done everything they can to land the services of Gongba. So we'll see what that what happens on November 4th as he announces his college destination. Hopefully it's uh, one heck of a party for Kansas State fans and uh, no no better way to party than drink some Bent Holiday Bottle and Bon Bourbon or 360 Vodka. So go get stocked up for this weekend so you're ready to toast a glass and celebrate hopefully a K-State win and a, a big-time K-State commitment and then gear up for basketball season as the Cats open the, uh, the season against USC, top 25 USC in Las Vegas next Monday night on November 6th. So, Curry, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, and hopefully next week we're talking about K-State 7-2 and two overall, 5-1 and one of the Big 12, and in the driver's seat to get back to Arlington. So, uh, appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll talk next week. Appreciate Nick Springer behind the scenes producing the pod. As always, appreciate homefieldapparel.com as well for supporting the show. Go check them out. Score 15% off with code 3MAW23 as you check out and appreciate all of you that listen and support the show. I want to thank you again for listening to another 3Mob bonus edition. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.